in thinking about um, some things that were profitable for us as a congregation to uh, study and think about I want to address um, the subject of well sometimes it's called church discipline but I'm just calling it Christian confrontation Never may never end up being church discipline at all um, but it's just how we live with each other as believers uh, if you have your outline uh, there's an outline for the sermon if you uh, didn't see it and there's also one for tonight so I really wish uh, those of you who can't be here tonight I really wish you would listen to the sermon that I'm going to preach tonight Lord willing if I'm still here and, um, and that you would have this outline with you I'm going to read the first 20 verses. It's very important to look at the context of this uh, passage of Scripture. Um, there's a there's a uh, something beautiful going on here. And uh, the real big mistake that a lot of believers make, and I'll say a little bit more about this in a minute, is uh, one of the things... Okay, so you got some churches out there that talk about practice and discipline and all that good stuff. And the only problem is sometimes they just look at these verses right here. They don't see that they're in a context. That the, the, these, these verses here that give a procedure are sandwiched between so much love and grace and all this other good stuff. And we need to see them that way. And so, Lord willing, what I want to do is, after I deal with verses 15 through 20 today, I want to come back at a later date, maybe Lord willing in June, I'm supposed to preach, I think, a Sunday in June. I'm going to do Father's Day. And uh, I was sort of glad that it turned out I could do Father's Day and Mother's Day. But anyway, so I'll do Father's Day that morning and then that night maybe do the parable of the unforgiving servant. But, okay, so we're going to look at these verses that talk about somebody sinning against us or somebody in sin. And then, but look at what all the stuff says before this, okay? Look at all these things. I don't mean to say be unpleasant, and uh, but look at these things that are said uh, by calling it stuff. But look at all these things that Jesus said. Now, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put them in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it's necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than have two hands or two feet to be thrown in eternal fire. If your eyes cause you, eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than uh, with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See to it that no, you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven 
Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the other ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more, two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done by them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And may God, Holy Spirit, teach us from this word. Just like this last, last two verses. Everybody quotes these last two verses having to do with prayer and everybody getting together for church. And that's not what it's talking about. And I'm going to explain all that tonight. And that's why those of you who are prevented from coming, you need to, you need to hear this. It's, when, we, when, we, when people quote verse 18 or verse 19 and apply it to getting together for a prayer meeting... It's totally taking it out of context. That's not, what, that's not the context in which Jesus spoke it. Does that mean that when two or three gather together to pray, that Jesus isn't there? No, he is. He's there when one person gets together to pray, okay? That's just who he is. <laughs> he doesn't, okay, he doesn't, you go pray. He doesn't say, well, there's not a quorum here. We've got to have two or three. Eh, it doesn't work that way, all right? Anyway, <laughs> all right. Let's look at Matthew 18. Let me just try to deal with verse 15. And I'll preach that other one later. So, the title of the sermon is Loving Our Family, Christian Confrontation, Part 1. Will you follow Jesus? Now, first time I ever preached on this subject for this sermon, it was simply Christian Confrontation Directives from Christ, Step 1. Okay? I got a better title. It's called love for family because that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's family. That's what we did. We just welcomed some more people into the family. Okay? Got a bigger family than what we had before. All right? Love for the family. And then the last part of that title is, Will You Follow Jesus? So why did I say, Will You Follow Jesus? I said that because... A lot of people come to these verses and, and they've got so many excuses and so many objections why they shouldn't obey these verses. I mean, it's just unbelievable the stuff people come up with to get around doing this. But it comes down to this. It comes down to whether Jesus is smarter than we are. It comes down to whether we love Jesus more than we love ourselves. It comes down to whether we will follow Jesus rather than following everybody else or our own sinful inclinations that make us fearful to follow Jesus. These verses are very important to promote the health and the peace 
And I would say of the real family, of our individual families, husband and wife, and also our, um, also our church family. So when Brenda and I were first married, uh, well, we read a lot of Jay Adams. We read a lot of uh, this other Reformed Baptist guy. I can't remember his name. Anyway, he wrote a book on marriage, and um, I used we used that. We worked hard at our communication. We worked hard at communicating well with one another. Uh, not because we were having knockdown, drag out fights, but we just wanted to establish good communication in our marriage. And then we started having kids. We started practicing the same thing. Are we perfect? Not at all. Not at all. But we have a standard by which to go. And Matthew 18 is one of those key verses that gives you a standard as husband and wife, as parent and child, in order to have a good relationship. Okay? Also, the other verse that pertains to that is Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. And that, Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24, is when Jesus said, if you're presenting an offering and you remember somebody has something against you, you go and you be reconciled to your brother so that then, and then come bring your offering. Okay? So that means that if you and your spouse have had an argument and you know that you're wrong and you know that they've got something against you and everything, that means that when you're all spiritual sitting down reading your Bible or praying to work and all that kind of stuff, then that's not what you ought to be doing. What you ought to be doing is picking up the phone, maybe pull off the road so we don't disobey the law, but pick up your phone and call your spouse and say, look, I had no business talking to you the way I did. I'm sorry. I ask your forgiveness. That's what, that's, that's, you don't, we don't allow these things to go on. So that's why these verses are so important. Very easy to practice and the same way with our children and the same thing within the church. In the husband-wife relationship and in the relationship of the church. And what happens often in the church is that people will get their nose out of joint and they'll carry grudges and they'll bellyache about this and that and the other when they need to go talk to somebody and get it worked out. A misunderstanding. Or maybe they've really been sinned against. But they're supposed to go and get these things addressed and deal with. Or maybe they realize they shouldn't have acted the way that they did. We, are, we, are, we need to be in our marriages, in our families, and in our churches. We need to show a relationship of peace. We need to exhibit a relationship of reconciliation. We need to exhibit the humility that forgives each other and doesn't bear grudges and hold on to things. We need to exhibit love because that is the gospel. gospel. We come in here and we talk about how grateful we are for the forgiveness in Jesus. And then if we're not showing forgiveness to others, we're not living the gospel. When others come to us and ask for forgiveness, we are not allowed to hold a grudge against that person because they have asked for forgiveness. Well, I don't think they're very sincere. God didn't ask you to figure out whether they're sincere. God says forgive. God says forgive. All right. Well, we're going to see some of that as we get through this passage. Now, consider the context of this passage of Scripture. 
Jesus is saying in here in Matthew 18, he's saying avoid stumbling blocks. He's saying to be humble. Uh, he's saying uh, how he doesn't want his people to be in sin. He talks about the sheep that strays, right? He talks about being humble like a child. He talks about the sheep that strays. He talks about the concern for one another if somebody strays from the faith. These are all the things that he is talking about. He's talking about being loving for another person, for being concerned about another person who strays, the lost sheep. If someone strays in the church, our, our response should not be, well, that's too bad. That's something for the elders to take care of, I guess. No, we can't have that attitude. We can't say, well, you know, I'm sorry about that. Um, what are we having for lunch today? That, that, you can't, you can't, that's not how we're to respond. We're to be concerned about that, that, that person in the body of Christ who strays. We're supposed to pray about them. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to encourage them. We're supposed to help them any way we can. We're not supposed to be going to the elders and reporting to them, uh, here's my list of those people you need to check up on this week. I just want you to know this list and this is her problem and this is his problem. No. Well, the elders, do they do anything? Well, we don't even have any. Well, we haven't, but, you know, there's only one here right now and then the others make an appearance. So, so they even, even better, you see, how we as a body minister to one another when there's a problem, when there's a concern, when there's a, 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 a person in our body who is suffering, who's struggling, who, who is, is uh, in need of love and encouragement, what a, what a great opportunity we have in God's providence put upon us to minister in that way. All right, now, what let's do is let's just go through these phrases. Let's just go through these phrases and see um, what the different phrases mean. So the, the, there's a little bit of different... We're only going to deal with one verse. We're only going to deal with verse 15. And tonight, uh, this afternoon, I'll do 16 through 20. So the uh, two different translations I'll mention. One translation is, and if your brother sins. Another translation, which is the one I just read, is, if your brother sins against you. All right, now I'm going to address that. So the first thing is we have confrontation over sin. There, 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 there's a confrontation that's taking place here, and the confrontation is over sin. Now, we have to define sin. Sin is a violation of God's law. Sin is a violation of God's law. It's a breaking of His commandments. It's, it's, it's acting against what He said, or it's failing to do what He said. Either one. Sin is a violation of God's law. All right? Now, why do I make, why do I make that such a big deal? If your brother sins against you, or if your brother sins, I make that a big deal because many times what bugs us about people have nothing to do with sin. It has to do with a personality. I don't like them because they like country music. I don't like it because they like all this classical stuff. I don't like it because of the way they dress. I don't like it because of where they work or their politics or something like that. Those things are not sin. Those things are not sin. So as far as confronting someone and having... Those things are preferences. Those things are indifferent. 
if your brother sins or if your brother sins against you. So that's the first thing. When you go to somebody who is in sin, you ought to be able to show them from Scripture this is a sin. Okay? Okay? So it's not like, well, it just seems to me that this is the right thing that ought to be done and I'm just saying this to you because I just want to give you some encouragement and this is wrong what you're doing because this just seems to me like this isn't the right thing. No, you need to open up your Bible and say this is what, this is why this is wrong what you're doing. Okay? And it shouldn't be something vague. Like when the Bible says, avoid all appearance of evil, you might say, well, there's an appearance here, and it's just my opinion. It ought to be something specific. All right? Now, if, if this is the better translation, a sin against you, then that means someone has dealt with you in a sinful way. They've been angry towards you in an unloving way. They have said something untrue about you. Uh, they didn't keep a promise, uh, but in some way they lied to you. Uh, they they did something against you, okay? And in some way they have injured you or sinned against you. Now, uh, if your brother sins against you, now in a minute I'm going to explain to you how even though it says if your brother sins against you, you need to go to them, there are going to be some times when you will not go to them. But it's only because you can forget about it. You can just suck it up and say, hey, they're having a bad day. I really don't, I don't care. But those other instances when you can't forget about it, that's when you got to do something. All right? I'll explain that in just a minute. Now, somebody might say, well, <coughs> if that is the correct translation, if your brother sins against you, then therefore... I don't have to go to them if I haven't been, uh, you know, they're committing adultery, uh, they're uh, lying about not being at work or something like that, and I don't need to confront them because that's not really a sin against me. Well, no, it also applies to sin in general. And you'll see an application there from Luke 17. And I'm going to read Luke 17 to us. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says there. All right, here's Jesus. And this is what he said. He said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. So it's sort of like what we just read, right? It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Remember, we read something just like that. Then he says, Pay attention to yourselves. And then he says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. That goes back to what I said a while ago. When they come to us asking for forgiveness, we, we have to forgive them. We're supposed to forgive like God forgives. Okay? You go to God for forgiveness. God doesn't say, nah, no, no. I've already done, you know, five times today I've already, hey, you know, not going to do it. You know, get this anger under control. I'm not going to fool with you anymore. No, God forgives. And so we're supposed to be forgiving too. But the thing to notice there is that it can be a sin against you, but it can also be if your brother sins. If he sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So there's a sense in which Another in sin is something that should concern us. 
All right, the next thing is it's confrontation between and because we are brothers. Confrontation and uh, confrontation between and because we are brothers or we are brethren. So if you look at verses 12 through 14 of Matthew 18, you look through at verses 12 through 14, what do you see? You see the flock, you see the sheep, you see the hundred sheep, you see one that goes astray. So that's sort of the idea that we have in the Bible, that's sort of the idea that we have as like we're a body, we're a group, we're that one uh, flock of sheep together. The same thing is brought out in um, Ephesians chapter 4, um, 1 through 6. I'll read that to us. But the idea is that uh, this is between us because we are brethren, because we're united, because of all these things we set up here a while ago when we received new members into the body. Paul says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there it is. You have the unity that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are connected to one another. And so our concern should be for one another in the body of Christ. Now let me address some of questions and objections that people might uh, have or about all this. The first one is, what about confronting Christians in other churches? Can we do that? I mean, you go to work with somebody and they go to another church is that a problem that you confront them if they're a professing Christian and they're sinning against the Lord? That's no problem at all. Go ahead and confront them. It may be the only thing you're able to do. Uh, the only thing, you can't really bring them before your elders or anything like that if they don't repent. But you certainly can confront them, your brother and sister in Christ. You know, and they might say, um, you know, bug off Moses or something like that. I don't know what they're going to say. But... Even if they uh, get mad at you, if you confront them, and I'll talk about it in a way in a minute about the way we're supposed to confront people. But if you confront them in the right way, then and they do get upset. That's that's just that's their problem. That's not your problem. Are confronting non-Christians is that okay? Well, there's, there's no uh, system, as in the church, and certainly you can confront non-Christians from a Christian standpoint. I might have uh, work associates, in, or we might have work associates in real estates, and they suggest something to do, and we say, well, that's lying. That's, that's, uh, that's wrong. That's false. You can't do that. That's wrong. Okay? I'm not, going, I'm not preaching them a sermon, but I can speak to what's wrong or I can say this is wrong or I can say this is lie you lied or something like that and I can try to say it right and all that good stuff and and granted I have to really work on my attitude because it's it's not always good alright Steve Doe when he was preaching last week about <laughs> when somebody cuts us off in traffic that we say well, you know, maybe they need to get to somewhere quickly because they're having an emergency. And I'm thinking, 
that thought never enters my mind. I'm, I never think anything like that. And uh, even on the way to church this morning, I was on my horn and had to ask forgiveness. But anyway, so I'm, that's that's not where I like to be that way. I'm glad that's where Steve is, but I have a problem. All right, what about verses that seem to teach otherwise? Okay, so... I've got a couple of them there. Matthew 7, 1. Okay, so Matthew 7, 1, that's a classic verse. You tell someone, well, you shouldn't lie about this. Don't judge. Don't judge. You're judging. You don't judge. You know, the Bible says don't judge. Jesus said, judge not. Judge not. Don't judge. Okay, so people love to say that, right? That basically means I'm guilty and I don't want you saying anything to me about it because... You know, that makes me feel bad, okay? And I don't want to deal with any more guilt than what already is in my conscience, all right? That's what that means. But the Bible says don't judge. If you're going to be judged by the same standard, that doesn't mean you can't tell someone that they're wrong about something or that something is wrong. It just means that that is the same standard by which you are supposed to live as well. If you go back there and look at the context, it's not saying that you can't speak to someone about whether they're doing something wrong. If it means that, then maybe we have to ask Jesus, okay, what is it, Jesus? Are we supposed to confront somebody? Or is it we're not supposed to judge? No, what we have to do is we have to take these two things and we put them together. And you put them together in, when you tell someone they're doing something wrong and God's word reveals it's done, done something wrong, that's not your standard. That's what God has already said. You're just, you're just speaking God's truth. Or 1 Corinthians 13, you know, they might say, well, we need to love, we need to love. 1 Corinthians 13 says to love and we need to love. Okay? But we do need to love. But 1 Corinthians 13 also says love rejoices in the truth. And love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. And so the truth means that we would speak the truth. And then the fourth thing is to remember our motivation. Remember our motivation if we go to anyone and confront them in their sin. If you speak to anyone in the church, if you talk to any brother or sister, if you talk to your husband or your wife or anyone else, we need to remember our motivation. We are not God's deputies. We are not God's Gestapo. We are God's family. We are to love and follow Jesus. I'll say a little bit more about this in a minute, but the idea is we're to have an attitude of humility and love, recognizing our own sin and our own problems. All right. The next thing it says in this passage is uh, the next phrase is go and tell him his fault. Or uh, it could be go and reprove him in private. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone or go and reprove him in private. So the next thing we see is what we would call confrontation communicated. This is face-to-face is best. Face-to-face is best where you can meet with somebody and talk about this matter. But maybe there's a, maybe there's a problem you can't meet with them face-to-face. Maybe they won't even give you an audience and you have to answer, talk to them on the phone. Maybe they won't have anything to do with you and you have to write them a letter. You have to send them an email. Um, in other words, uh, maybe they live at a distance. I mean, if they're local, then try to get with them locally. 
And you get into some problems, you know, as far as men confronting women and women confronting men when you're not married to them and stuff like that. You need to, you need to figure out how you're going to handle all that. But the confrontation has to come out in one way or another. It may take more than one meeting. It may take more than one letter. But nevertheless, you want to confront them. So, you know, you might confront somebody and, and rather than them agreeing with you, it might develop into a debate. It might say, well, you know what? This may really be a sin. We need to, we need to discuss. Can, would you be willing to, to discuss this with me? Or would you be willing to study this with me from Scripture so that I might under, you know, understand this better? Another thing is that the manner in which this is done. When you, do com- when you do confront someone, there's a manner that God gives us there. And uh, the Apostle Paul says in uh, if Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if any man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourselves, lest you too be tempted. And so when we go to confront someone, it shouldn't be with drums beating and, and cannons going off. It should be in humility and love. It should, it should be acknowledging our own sin and our own failure. Okay? Our own weakness. Our own sin. I want to read these verses and, and uh, to you. I want you to really listen to them. Uh, Ephesians 4 is a great... or The book of Ephesians is a great passage of Scripture for us to study about the church. But just listen real hard. Don't, you don't need to look this up. But listen to this. This is uh, Paul telling the Christians at Ephesus. Listen. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what we're after. We're not after everybody becoming like us. We're not after getting our way. We're not after trying to get everybody in line so that they're in line with what we want. We're, we're wanting to see the body built up. We're wanting to see other people helped. We're wanting to love them and help them. Now, I mentioned a while ago that there are exceptions to going uh, in, in cases where you've been sinned against or, or whether there's a problem. And the Apostle Peter writes, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And there's a lot of stuff. There are a lot of times. There's a lot of times when maybe, you know, your spouse has had a rough day and they answer you, Sharply, and you know they're tired, and you know they've had a hard day, and you don't call a family meeting to deal with this because it's it's just been tough. It's they've had a tough day, and you just say, "Look, they've had a tough day. I got a thicker skin. I'm going to move on." Uh, and and that's uh, and love. That's love. 
covering a multitude of sin. We've we got to do that with each other. Because, listen, folks, we, we can't be picky. We can't be, uh, we can't be nitpicking each other all the time. Well, why do you act that way? He came into church and he didn't even speak to me. He, he just went over there and did this and he did that and, and he walked right by me and didn't speak to me. Well, if you're really a problem, go and ask him, you got a problem today? You got a, are you okay? Everything good? Yeah, but, you know, they're just preoccupied. I had conversations with each one of us, with a number of us who got here early. There are people in this room, all of us, who've got a lot of stuff on our minds, and, and we're occupied. And because we don't dot every I and cross every T and everything to meet everybody else's little requirement when we're around them, it doesn't mean that we've sinned or done something wrong, and it doesn't need anybody else needs to be getting their nose out of shape. It means we need to be practicing love. But even in the matter of sin, that's not even sin what I was describing. But even in the matter of sin, love needs to cover a multitude of sin. But the Bible says, Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and do not let the sin go down on your anger. Sun go down on your anger. There is a principle that if something's gnawing at you and you can't, you can't get rid of it, you need to deal with it. You need to address it and this I think is talking about personal sins against you it doesn't apply to adultery and lying to others and those kinds of sins but it applies to when you've been offended now what about if you don't practice confrontation if you don't practice it and you're supposed to do so do you know what that means? That means now you're the one who's sinning against the Lord. Okay? So you got somebody who's in sin and you don't confront them and they're a friend or, they're, or they've sinned against you and it's not something that you can let go of and you don't confront them because you've got all your reasons. Well, they'll get mad and it won't work and I don't want to make things worse and all this kind of stuff. You've got all your little reasons. And so you don't do anything. You know what's wrong now? You haven't obeyed Jesus. That's why the last part of the sermon title is, Will You Follow Jesus? Because you're not following Jesus. It's Jesus who tells us to go to each other. It's Jesus who tells us to keep short accounts. It's Jesus who tells us to be concerned for one another. All right, what about the objections here? First objection is, but I'm such a sinner myself. Okay, we all agree with that. We all agree. We agree with you. But that's not a qualification for doing it. Confrontation isn't given because we're perfect. It's given because we love Jesus and we love our brother and sister. If you operated on that premise as a parent, you could never correct your child. You could never correct your child. Because no one's perfect. And we're all sinners. And you say, well, some people aren't as bad a sinner as ever. Well, let's look at everybody through God's eyes. And let me tell you, nobody in this room can bear to see what they look like through the holy eyes of God. We're all sinners. Secondly, 
Maybe someone says, well, Christ may have confronted others, but I'm not Christ. Here again, we are all well aware of that fact, and we all agree with you. We agree with you. But here's the deal. Jesus Christ has called us to be his official representatives. Okay? That's the, that's the truth. You and I, I know, makes you wonder whether the church will survive or not, but Jesus has called on us to be his official deputized representatives, his official representatives, his brother, his children, his adopted children, his sons and daughters, his prophets and his priests and his kings. That's who we are. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. That's our calling. Thirdly, another objection might be, maybe it's best just to pray and let the Holy Spirit do His work. I know a lot of people do this one. A lot of, a lot of sessions, a lot of elders act cowardly they, they hide behind this one well let's pray and let's give the Holy Spirit time to work and then we'll decide no the Holy Spirit's already worked Jesus already worked he said hey here's what you need to do the Holy Spirit's already worked the Holy Spirit gave us scripture the problem is we've got a bunch of elders and a bunch of Christians running around who are smarter than Jesus will we follow Jesus the third point there under that see confrontation that is confidential it is in private it is between you and him alone the scripture does speak to public sin and public sin doesn't have to be addressed privately. A lot of times I see Christians in internet discussions and they'll say, well, so-and-so uh, wrote this article and then everybody criticized him and they should have gone to him privately. No. He wrote something publicly. It can be addressed publicly. You mean i got to go to Australia to talk to this author? I've got to call him up long distance before I can comment on the heresy that he just printed? I don't think sin it can go ahead and be addressed but oftentimes our situation is that someone has offended us and is doing something we believe to be wrong and our response should be to confront the person but in too many times we tell other people we may disguise it as needing prayer I need to go talk to someone about such and such and I want you to pray for me God doesn't allow that nope nope you can say, hey, i got something challenging to do and I hope you'll pray for me. You can do that. They don't have to know all the details. You see, what happens is when you say, I've got to go speak to such and such about their sin and you don't know it, if, if it's a real sin or if you really understand the situation or not and you've already said all that, then the problem occurs that you have, have already put that, planted that in that other person's mind. You've already offended the person you're going to go see because you put that in that other person's mind. And then you go see them and you confront them and you find out it's not a sin. Then you need to go to every one of these other people who you have bashed that other person's reputation and say, I have no business saying that to you 
And we all have problems with this. We all run off at the mouth at times when we've got no business. We ought to be speaking to the source, to the person, and not to other people. Maybe you go to the elders with your reports about who you want to report. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go to the person in private. Let's say somebody comes up to you and say, let me tell you what somebody did the other day. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what Jake Hughes did the other day. Let me tell you what Jake did. And you do this. You say, wait, wait right there. Okay, wait right there. Nope. Nope. I don't want to hear it. This is not this is not pleasing to God. You can't did do something good. Okay, I'm happy to hear all about that. But I don't want to hear. You have to stop people. If people are not going to practice Matthew eighteen, don't be a party to their sin if they want to bring you in on something that is supposed to be only private. And then, and I know I've had to do this. At times I've run my mouth. I had no business running my mouth. I had to go to someone, you know, and I said, hey, listen, I thought so-and-so did this and I and looked into it and I found out it wasn't the case and, and I conjectured and I was wrong and I'm sorry and I ask your forgiveness and I shouldn't have said that. All right, final point is that if he listens to you, you've won your brother. This is confrontation success. This verse presumes that the person was in sin and that they listened and that they heard you and they acknowledged their sin and they sought God's forgiveness and then everything else is just fine. And you don't go out and tell everybody about how wonderful you are that you confronted someone and they repented and isn't that wonderful? Will you join me in prayer to thank God? No, you just keep your mouth shut. You thank God and then you move on. All right? Because that's how you would like to be treated as well. That's how we would like to be treated as well. So this is the success of the confrontation. You go to the person, and maybe you say, speak to this person, and they say, oh, that's, oh, I'm so sorry there's been this misunderstanding. That's not what happened at all. And a lot of times you find out it was a really a big misunderstanding. And, and then your mind is put at ease and their mind is at ease and everybody is, is happy and everybody is appreciative and everybody is glad that you're concerned for the relationship and all these things. And do not, let me tell you something, when the devil, when, when you hear all these thoughts of it will do no good, uh, I, I, I'll not do that in this situation, when you come up with all these things, those things are from the devil because this is from Jesus. And everything that is contradictory to what Jesus says is from the devil. And this is why, and this is the way, we have peace in our families and peace in the church. And this is the way that we have love for each other. And then, if you do all that, and the person repents, that ends it. That's it. No need to bring it up anymore. No, mean, no, deal, no, no need to bring it up. Even if they have problems with that sin later, you don't come back and say, well, you remember the last time. You don't go, God doesn't bring our sins up against us, those that have been forgiven. No. You leave it alone. That's a whole other sermon about forgiveness. 
And the final question is asked, what happens if Matthew 18, 15? And I'll answer it this way. It never fails. I'm not saying people don't repent, but it never fails. Matthew 18, verse 15, never fails. If you confront someone, you've done your duty. If they don't repent, then there's other things to be done. But Matthew 18, verse 15, doesn't fail. What Jesus says doesn't fail. The instruction that Jesus gives doesn't fail. People fail. It's not that it's not true. It's not that it's not wise. It's not that it's not good. The problem is not with what is said here. The problem is with us or with people. Do we love the gospel? Will we be concerned for others? Do we love the brethren? Do we love Jesus? Will we follow Jesus? For Peninsula Reformed Presbyterian Church, this is crucial and foundational for unity and peace for us now and for in the future and for our own personal lives. Let's pray.